Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Verley, founder and CEO of Project Purple and the host of the podcast. We have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. We are already halfway through 2023 as we record this. This is so crazy that we're already through six months of the year. It's, it seems like yesterday was January. <laughs> and we're already on pace for another record year, which is just amazing. And I just want to thank everyone so far this year who has supported, donated, or participated in a Project Purple event. You guys have made the difference for us this year to help so many people battling pancreatic cancer. Many of our fall marathon teams are full, which is just nuts. We're, we're here in June and we're, we're, we're sold out on so many of our teams. But we do still have a couple spots left on our Berlin, a Berlin marathon team, our Twin Cities marathon and 10-mile team, Detroit full half and 5K, wonderful event in Detroit in the fall, Chicago fall half marathon, and the newly added Sono half marathon and 5K here in Connecticut. We also have our virtual event, the Work Harder It's Not Chemo, coming up in August, as well as our own Horner Hustle 5K in Park Ridge in August as well. Um, we're launching a new event this year, which I'm so excited for this. Uh, we're launching our Over the Edge Urban Repel series starting in Hartford, Connecticut on September 16th. So if you live locally here in Connecticut or want to fly into it, uh, you can rappel down 14 stories as we go over the edge for Project Purple and raising awareness for pancreatic cancer. To learn more about all these great events, visit our website at projectpurple.org and make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things Project Purple. Without further ado, Let's meet our special guest today coming to us all the way. I'm going to assume here that it's sunny in Los Angeles. It's not. The, it's not. It's cloudy. It's been the weirdest spring ever. I have not been in my swimming pool yet, which is really weird. Oh, no. I know. That's well, okay. coming, I won't say sunny, but beautiful <laughs> Los Angeles, California, yes. Yes. pancreatic cancer survivor, 19-year survivor, Kitty Swank. Kitty, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Con podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Already I'm having fun. <laughs> so I, I know we were talking uh, before we hit record, we're getting to know each other a little bit. You said 19 years, and I, I've got to think about this really quick. I don't think we've had a 19-year survivor on our podcast. I think we've had some people in the 10s, 12. I think we had one guy, he's out of Massachusetts. I think he's like a 12-year survivor. But I, I think you take the prize of the long, longest-term survivor on the project. Oh. My hands from hell. That's okay. My husband will calm them down. That's, <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We got, we got dogs in the background. Yeah. Um, Armin, my husband's publisher is on his way over, so I think they're at the front door. I think that's <laughs> there you go. Okay. All right. So, okay. So what? I hold the prize. I have something to say to me. That, that's a, longer. Uh, yeah. Roberta Luna, she's, uh, I think, at 20 years. She's not yeah. operable, and she's still alive. And she's thriving. She's amazing. Roberta lives in Orange County, I believe. Yes, correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. I, so I, we, so. I've been out to the West Coast often. We used to do the Orange County Half Marathon 
and marathon years ago before the pandemic we would do that race we also did long beach um we did the la 5k one year but i ran into the lunas i think when we used to go out to the oc marathon um her name came up and i i'm trying to think they've done some stuff with hirschberg i know they've done some stuff with pancan i know you've been involved with pancan which is great all these great groups we we love all the groups the more i always say the more groups we have in this space the more we'll get done. Okay. Um, so it, it's just awesome to, to have you here uh, joining us here on the podcast. And before I hand this over to you, uh, I'm just going to preface this. The first segment of our podcast is always the guest opportunity. I know some people may know you already. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they they may recognize the name. I know full disclosure here, you, you have been in Hollywood. I know your husband's <laughs> an actor, writer. You've been acting and writing you've done a lot of stuff through the years. I know we were playing catch up uh, again before we hit record about careers and, and where you traveled and, and what you've done. Um, so some people may know the name, um, but you know, the first part of our podcast is always the guest opportunity to kind of share their journey with pancreatic cancer and a little bit about themselves. And as I said, before we hit record, you can say as high level as you want, or you can get into the weeds. I will be taking okay. notes. And, and with that, <laughs> the microphone is yours to share your journey with pancreatic cancer with our audience. Goodness, goodness. Uh, so my journey, uh, about 19 and a half years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I, I started to lose weight. Now, I'm a skinny person to begin with, so I just thought I was under a lot of stress. My father had Alzheimer's. My mother had died, and <clears throat> I was suing to become his guardian because he wouldn't stop driving, so there was that. And then Cecily Adams, who played my, um, who was a dear friend of ours and who also played my husband's mother on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, um, who had never been a smoker, got lung cancer. She had a two-year-old, and so... This posse of women who were good friends of hers uh, formed around her, so I was taking care of Sess. And I knew I had a pilot by um, December, I knew I had a pilot coming up in the spring. I already knew that I had this pilot to shoot. So for those who don't know what that is, it's a like the tryout version of a TV series. And I was doing Hamlet, I was playing Gertrude in Hamlet, uh, and so I stopped auditioning. I was just trying to focus on all the other things on my plate. And so in the middle of all of this, I had acid reflux and my back hurt and blah, blah, blah. But I just thought it's stress and I work out all the time. So, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why I'm still here is because I was incredibly fit when I got sick, uh, except for the weight loss. Uh, I just assumed that it was the stress that was doing it. And one day uh, in February, 19 years ago, I went to visit my friend Cecily in the hospital and her uh, nanny from when she was a child was there. And she said, don't worry about Cecily, you should worry about you. And I came home and I, and Cecily, who could barely talk at that point, she'd been in the hospital for a really long time, said, you should listen to her, she's psychic. So um, I came home and I said, ah, ha, 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 Cecily's childhood nanny. And Armin said, I think you should listen to her. And so I called the doctor's office. That was on a Thursday. And I said, we can get you in in a couple of weeks. And then the next morning they said, we've had a cancellation. Can you come in right now? And I drove in and my internist, who's still my internist, um, 
Alice Cruz said, you know, it's a lot of stress. You probably just have acid reflux and you've probably injured yourself as you were prone to do because you're a dumb jock. And um, uh, let's just take some blood tests. Over the weekend, we went to, I was really not feeling good by that point. Over the weekend, I, we went to see a play and then we went out with our friends afterwards. And I went into the bathroom and my urine turned brown. Brown. And I really wasn't feeling good. And on Monday, we went to the um, memorial service for our friend's son. And while I was there, my doctor had called and said, your kidneys and your liver are shutting down. You need to go to the hospital. You need to go to Cedar sinai right now. Hmm. But by the time we got home, she wasn't in the office, and the doctor on call didn't seem to get the message. And about an hour after that, Dr. Cruz called and said, you've got to go right now, right now, right now. And then I said, can I go to a closer hospital? And she said, no. Mo Fallis, who was my surgeon when I had breast cancer, which I had done 10 years before, uh, expects you, the people in emergency expect you. So about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, we showed up at uh, the emergency room. And while we waited, I turned yellow. Yeah, I turned yellow. I had jaundice. So you went from back pain, acid reflux to brown pee to yellow within like, I mean, the acid reflux and back pain were happening, but the brown urine and yeah. yellow happened within like a couple days. Yes. Yes. So I'm really lucky that I had gotten in to see that doctor because I very well could have just died. But yeah. here I am. I am arguably the luckiest woman in America. So, uh, about 5 36 o'clock in the morning, my surgeon Mo Fallis, Moses Fallis, um, came in to where we were, the little cubicle we were in an emergency room, and he said, You know, we've been friends for a long time, but we're not friends right now. I'm your, I'm your doctor, and you're my patient, and we're going to take care of you. And they admitted me about half an hour later, and a week and a half, not quite two weeks later, I had a whipple. Um, and 17 days, uh, after the day I showed up in the emergency room, I came home. And at that time I held the land speed record for starting chemo after a Whipple. I, in two weeks, I started, uh, the Whipple. Now I'm going to tell you a story. We, uh, my friend said, and, and I met with the oncologist who would become my oncologist while I was there. Um, a really lovely man has retired recently named Robert Decker who said to us, you are not a statistic. Don't read the statistics. There's a chance of survival, and I don't want you to read the statistics. Let's do this. And then a lot of my friends said, you have to go see this really, really famous guy who shall remain nameless because he was a really famous guy in pancreatic cancer and, in fact, treated my friend Charlotte Ray when she was diagnosed. Um, and he said, well, where did you have your whipple? And I told him, and who were you, who, what oncologist did you meet with? And I told him, he said, well, you're going to die. And I looked at my husband and I said, uh, we're leaving now. And as bad as getting up and down was, I got up and I hobbled out of the room and my husband followed me and we never went back. And we stuck with Bob Decker. And here I am 19 years later, a survivor. And I have spent that time since trying to help other people because I feel like if I can give people hope, I've already 
upped their chances of being cured. That's so crazy. So he told you, I, I, I don't, we're going to spend a minute here on this guy. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to name this guy, but the, the brazenness, I would say something else, but I don't want to offend people here. Um, Lucky, I think would be a good expression. Yeah. Like, so he, he said, he, he just says straight out, like, you're going to die. Yeah. He said, well, yeah, well, you didn't have, you didn't have one of our guys do this and you didn't have one of our guys do that. And I, what a jerk. Well, yeah. And I, I wanted somebody who was on my team. I didn't want yep. somebody to have me be on his team. Okay, but okay, Kitty, but like, come on, like, the, 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 like, I'm gonna go down this hole. <laughs> like, okay, so it's like, a, you're in the business of pancreatic cancer, I assume, or like, regardless, who gives? Like, you're an oncologist. Like, people die from cancer, and you don't have the compassion to say. Like, okay, like, you know, all right, like, yeah, that guy's a good guy, but, you know, maybe we could do this and maybe, you know, point out the advantages of being here at my center versus, you know, there, like, but to say it like that, like, who the hell, like, these guys are nuts. Well, that's why I got up and said, you're, I'll see it. I'm done. You should have, like, punched them in the the midsection. (laughs) I I don't, I'm, I'm being joking there but like come on man like this is crazy like okay so i get it it was 20 years ago right but like i guarantee there's still doctors across if you're listening to the podcast uh or if people go through these experiences please reach out to me because i'd love to hear about it and we'd love to create a list on these guys uh that's a joke but it's not a joke like i've been like so like I, I, what we we went through is not something similar, and this this is not about me here. Um, but like when my dad was in his final stages, like a doctor, there was you know he knew, but like there was a doctor that asked my dad like where he wanted to die, and like set my mom off, and I just don't think you do those kinds of things. Like that's just like like, and you don't say to someone like something to your what you went through. Like you just don't do that. I, I will say that Charlotte lived a long, long time, which was amazing because she was in her 80s when she was um, diagnosed and lived to be 94 and oddly died of a different kind of cancer. So he's clearly uh, medically a good physician. I think he's retired since then. Yeah, but, but you can't, like, I don't, yeah, I don't care, yeah. but you still can't treat people like that. Yeah, it was uh, inappropriate and... Uh, it, But, you know, oddly, what it did for me is it made me resolve to fight even harder. And I did. And I did. Whenever I wasn't neutropenic, I was at the gym. Yeah. Um, The first day home, my husband held on to the dogs, and my friend Julie had flown down from Portland. And the two of them held on to the dogs, and I walked around the block, and within a week, I was walking a couple of miles. So, um, yeah. So uh, you mentioned something, and I want to just back up a little bit here. You said you had breast cancer 10 years prior. Mm-hmm. So from a health perspective, I know you said there was a lot of stress, the acid reflux, the black back pain. Was there anything else other than the breast cancer previous that was like, a concern in air quotes here or anything that 
Um, when I got when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I had the world's easiest. I had stage one, blah blah. You know, a surgery that was it. Yeah. Uh, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, my parents, who were very, um, uh, that there was kind of a Yankee streak in them, and so they were. Even though we grew up, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and today, um, I, I didn't know that my grandmother had had breast cancer and had a double mastectomy. But all of a sudden, it fell into place that when she would raise her arms over her head, her her boobs would go like that. Well, because she had a, you know, prosthetics. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know that had happened. I, I was a kid who got sick a lot because I was very premature, but I was in, I was a jock all my life. I was fit. I took care of myself. I ate right. Um, so it was a surprise. And once I got past like the five year mark on breast cancer, I thought, okay, I've done this cancer thing. Yeah, you're good. Um, it was a surprise. It was, it was a huge surprise, but. It was what it was. It, yeah. it just was what it was. So now that just fa I'm going to fast forward here, but stay in the same line. Now that we know genetics does play a piece mm -hmm. into all this, I'm sure our listeners at home that have followed the podcast along, I know I bring this question up. So breast cancer is linked to pancreatic cancer with certain genes. Have you done genetic testing? So weirdly. I had never done it because when I was diagnosed, people didn't. It wasn't. Yeah, it. you didn't do it. And then um, I was going to do it when the pandemic started and it became more difficult and it sort of didn't go. And I keep thinking I should do it. I've had several nieces who've done it. Um, my One of my brother's uh, ex-wives, one, uh, one of my brothers had a wife who came from a family with a lot of cancer. Breast yeah. cancer, ovarian cancer, also related. So um, they have had tests because it comes at them from both sides. And Correct. Well, there's a little cancer in my family. And my mother said when I got breast cancer, you know, people in our family get cancer, but they don't die from it, which was a good, that was a mantra we said all the time. <laughs> uh, but uh, two of my brother Don's daughters are from a mother whose family did die from it often so uh, they have uh, tested and are do not have genetic predisposition which is amazing which is good yeah. now we know also though that it does skip so um sometimes even though you have like your brother may not have it but you know knowing that you have the grandmother who had breast yeah. cancer um you know and there she could was also be diabetic by the way which is uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's nothing going back. There was nothing like to, you know, no large cancer history, lifestyle. You were a runner. You even said you were active. So this had to come out of like literally left field. Right. <laughs> um, I, I know you did say something too, like you got through treatment from the Whipple 17 days. So really from that first, which is amazing thinking back, you know, 20 years ago, Kitty, because, you know, people even today, you know, it may take them three months, you know, from when they first onset of, of, uh, symptoms to when they actually, you know, get diagnosed and then right. get into surgery, you know, but so from, from where you were in, 
meeting with that surgeon to two weeks later having that Whipple, and then you know coming home, you know from that ER visit. I think you said seventeen days, and then you said two weeks later, then you started chemo. So this thing moved pretty fastly. Okay. So, do you ever look back on that again? I, I just, it's kind of crazy because you think of like 20 years. All right. So we're talking 20 years. I was like 2003. I mean, like it wasn't like it was 1980. It was like 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So 2004. So we're not talking about 1980, but still like, I guess we think 20 years, like it's crazy because this space in t- the last 10 years has moved so fast. Right. Um, so that's pretty impressive though. It, it was, but so I was younger than a lot of people diagnosed with this cancer. Uh-huh. 49 at the time. And um, until I started really feeling bad, because I kind of muscled through not feeling particularly good. Um, so <laughs> I had done a, a, I had done a job where I had to be in a swimsuit, um, yeah. in a bikini top and board shorts. And so I had done like 700 sit-ups a day for months before I started Hamlet. <laughs> so when they did the when they did the Whipple, and you know, in those days they did this cut that looks like an upside down happy face. Yeah, really not pleasant. Um, uh, the um, and I have since one of my wonderful side effects is last year I had to have a hernia surgery because my intestines uh. kept popping out at most inappropriate moments. So um, you know, you'd be wearing a tight t-shirt and all of a sudden boop. boop. So, um, uh, I, w- when they pulled back the sheet to do the first incision, Ma said, well, I know exactly where to cut because I can see exactly where her abdomen muscles are. And, um, which he told Armin when he came out to talk to him after the, after the surgery. And, uh, I think because I was so tough, uh, in a way that I'm probably not anymore. I was so physically, uh, in the fight. Uh, it helped me get there faster than most people could. It's unusual. It's unusual. And one of the women who was part of my posse had a Whipple two weeks ago, and she's doing great and is out walking her dog. So there you go. Yeah, it's crazy because we just, uh, I was recording with someone earlier, and they said, you know, like, similar, she had a Whipple back in, like, 2015 i think and then now she just was talking to someone like she remembers like four days and like recovery she's like this person like a day later they had her walking around the halls in the in the in the yeah. uh, the hospital wing right to get her going and then like within three days she was home and i, I think that's the one thing you know if you are able to have the whipple I do know from talking to a lot of clinicians, like we've gotten really, really good at this surgery, right? Over the years. I mean, unfortunately it's still the same surgery that was done 50 years ago. Uh, But I know from talking to a lot of um, surgeons and we just had a great one on Dr. Chabot who runs the, the pancreas center in Columbia, you know, he talked about, you know, just it's gotten better and better over the years, you know, like the, the complications that they used to have, are not the same complications that they have now, right? And so they're able to to really get patients up off their feet right away. And mm. what that means is, you know, getting into treatment a lot quicker, um, which they know statistically and just from the data that that does help. So you go through this chemo post and then you get that first bill of, hey, you're good, go on with your life. 
come back every couple months for scans. What does life look like then now for you at that time? Uh, I kept thinking, oh, I feel good now, or oh, I'm, uh, I'm back in the game, or whatever it was. And then a couple months later, I go, oh, now I feel good. And that went on for two or three years. And I still have some weird, you know, intestinal, oh, joy, oh, rapture, eat the wrong thing, pay for it, sort of um, problems, but who can't really, uh, who cares? And um, uh, so I, I meet like the two weeks after I did chemo, then right, six weeks of radiation, had a break and did more chemo. And um, two weeks after that, I started rehearsing a play, which was interesting because I had a big winging case of chemo brain. And I wasn't, uh, I, I have to say, everybody was quite patient because it was not my uh, my finest moment. And so after we opened up, then I was like, okay, I'm on my feet now. But it was, I just tried to make life as um nor always through the whole thing, I tried to make life as normal as possible. And I also, through the whole thing, tried to find the joy in life, which if I had any um, advice for people, I'd say, look for the joy. A a anything you can do, even if you're, even if you're really feeling terrible, find those ways to make yourself, give yourself the pleasure. Like a friend of ours, uh, brought over a bunch in, in the days when people brought you uh, not not even dvds uh, vcr the tapes vcr um, tapes they would bring all these wonderful old funny movies over or, or um and we would I, I would try and watch as much funny stuff as possible um then uh i would try and spend as much time with friends as possible uh I would try and um, help people as much as possible. And then I, about four months after I finished treat treatment, maybe three months after I finished treatment, um, I started having horrible nightmares of somebody gutting me like a fish, which is essentially what happened. And aside from all the Western medicine I was doing, I was also working with a guy who did Shin Shin Shitsu, which is Japanese acupressure, helped with the symptoms a lot of the symptoms of the chemo, not the symptoms of the disease so much. And he said to me, you know, your your intellect knows that what they did to you was necessary and important, but your uh, subconscious does not know that. So we did a lot of work on that. And um, he started me uh, doing sort of a nightly which I still do to this day, where I thanked all my missing body parts. Because something's still in there working for that half a pancreas that's missing and that gallbladder that's missing and the 28 lymph nodes that are missing and the half of my stomach and the two feet of my intestines. So every night I say, thank you, stomach. Thank you, pancreas. Thank you, gallbladder. Thank you, intestines. Thank you, liver. Because I had some liver issues from the mm. chemo, which bounced back, thankfully. Thank you, uh, thank you intestines. You know, instead of saying a Hail Mary, I thank my body parts now. And um, somehow that gives me peace. It gives me peace that that these things took care of me as long as they could. And when they had to leave, the rest of my body took over. Uh, yeah. So did you, was this something that you were practicing 
before, like meditation wise, like before you got sick or this was like post someone introduced, I'd love to hear how you got involved in uh, this. And, I, did, I, did, I did meditate off and on and I do meditate seriously now, but, um, and I do occasionally say Hail Mary, but, uh, <laughs> uh but that said, um, a friend of ours, uh, who was a television writer had bought for Cecily, before she, she was my friend who died of lung cancer. She died while I was on the operating table, by the way. Armin said the first thing I said when I woke up was, have Cecily, and he lied to me because he didn't want me to hear it. And he doesn't lie. Well, he certainly doesn't lie to me. So there you go. And um, Jamie said, I bought these things for Cecily, and she didn't use them, and I want And he, my back was so bad, and I was going to have to have a, um, a back surgery and I went to him and he made it possible for me to not have back surgery and you just used them. And I started going and, and now I have a lot of other friends actually who, who go to him. I, um, I haven't been to him for quite a while, but, um, so that's how I got to meet Joseph Hurt, spelled with an I, not a U. And, um, and, uh, it, and Shin Jitsu was really helpful to my life in terms of dealing with the chemo symptoms and just keeping my brain from spinning out of control all the time, which is really helpful. I am one of those people whose brain spins out of control. Like I start the what ifs. That's why I meditate every day. And I find it really helpful. Well, I think you have, uh, you know, an excuse. You had a lot going on. <laughs> like pancreatic. <laughs> like, yes, I do. Yeah. Kitty, I think with, uh, you know, battling, you know, the worst cancer, uh, in itself, not to mention, you know, a high demanding job, uh, that you're in and, and everything else. I mean, that's, uh, that's some serious business. So, uh, thank you for sharing that though. And I, and, you know, we, we often share these things here on the podcast because I've always said, and I think I mentioned this before we hit record, like if this helps someone listening, you know, I, I think like far too often, you know, we rely on our system here in the United States and that's not a bad thing. We have, we have some amazing doctors, but I don't think, I mean, I think some centers are starting to get it. They, they realize that, you know, patients are looking for alternatives and these other things. And, and sometimes they just can't, you know, they can't do it all right. Like you're, 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 uh, you know, as good as your dry cleaner is, they, they probably don't have anything, you know, um, related to, uh, you know, certain things uh, like fashion, right? Like my, like, you know, if you're looking for, you, you got to go somewhere else, right? Or they figure that out, right? Like to, to have like some sort of referral program or like I, I have, uh, you know, I have this affinity for, pub, for purple clothes, right? Uh, so whatever I see purple clothes. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, 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 I've been in this. So, but like my dry cleaner, I go to my dry cleaner for my clothes, but they don't offer purple clothes. Right. But if they were maybe smart, it's kind of a poor analogy, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, you know, I, I commend people for doing this, you know, going outside the box, uh, because I think far too often we rely and look at our doctors here in the United States as the end all be all. And that's not, you know, they're, they're very, and I, I guess I go back to that, you know, they're very, they're in that lane, you know, they stay in that lane and that's all they know. But, you know, also I think this is an important piece too. And I know you've mentioned a little bit about this is just like the after, I think we're so busy with, 
okay, getting rid of the cancer, get rid of the cancer, do the do that at a, at any cost. But there's like this other piece of it, like, okay, post, okay, you have no cancer now, but like, what does your body look like? What does it feel like? What What's left over, not necessarily from the cancer, but the treatments that now you have to figure out on your own, like how to deal with it. Like most, most, I've never heard from a medical oncologist, like other than maybe like Creon, because that's like a prescribed medication, but like how to get rid of neuropathy or how to get, how to stimulate your appetite again, or, you know, how, like, I know they probably hand people a book, but like how many people are going to read through the book of like nutrition, you know, if you now become diabetic because you have a Whipple, right? Like all these things, you know, and you mentioned too, like, oh, well you had the surgery, but now you need to have a hernia surgery because these things are popping out. Like probably wasn't explained to you beforehand, right? Before you're doing the Whipple, right? I mean, it probably was maybe mentioned, but like, you're not thinking of that. No, I remember I, when the hernia revealed itself, that's, the only way I can think of to say, when it kept popping out, I, I went online and it went, oh yeah, 25% of the people who've had major abdominal surgery end up with a hernia. Yeah. So there it was. Uh, there it was. Uh, appetite, I, I went, I was, I've shrunk, but I was five foot ten when I had my surgery. And I, by the bottom, I weighed 90 pounds. Oh. And uh, so I, I, I mean, I, like when I went into the hospital, I probably weighed 120, which is maybe 118, which was, I usually hang out around 125, 126. So that was still low, but 90, I, I literally wore little boys t-shirts and shorts hot here in the summer. And that's, I could not, there weren't any adult clothes that fit me. I couldn't buy them. So uh, it was hard. And the anti-nausea drugs didn't help. And I'm, I'm probably going to say something that's way out of line, but pot. Marijuana got my weight back on. It was what did it. I love it. Yeah, it did it. Uh, you know, I had I grew up in the counterculture. I was, you know, I went to University of Oregon in 1972. And I smoked my share of pot in those days, but I hadn't smoked pot in decades. Yeah. And a friend of mine showed up before there were vaporizers and she said, you don't want to smoke, but I had this giant, and it was like a giant ice cooling machine. <laughs> it was the size of a nuclear football. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and my husband, who never had smoked pot, was getting high alongside me because he was having to hold the whole thing together. Yeah. Um, but I started to eat again. Yeah. I started to eat again and anything that will get your weight back on is helpful. It's really helpful. And when I couldn't really eat any fatty food, so that was hard to gain weight when you can't eat fatty food. Yeah. Hard, uh, cause I would just get horrible diarrhea. I'm sorry. There's nothing else to say, but I would just, whatever I put in came out. So pot did it. That's what did it for me. I love it. I love it. Uh, because you know, again, these are the things that we love sharing and, and not, I mean, pot, we've had people talk about pot a lot 
And, uh, you know, I, I think again, anything that can help in this journey, and we've heard it from what you just mentioned from the nutrition piece of actually gaining weight, um, to even the pain management, you know, I I remember we've had people on that, that now, I mean, clearly pots evolved in the last 20 years and, and now you've got all these edibles and everything. And, you know, we've had a lot of people talk about, you know, taking the gummy bears at night just to get them through the night, you know, whether it was before surgery or post-surgery just to deal with, you know, people don't necessarily like taking pills these days because of the, uh, addictive, you know, properties to, to some of the, the narcotics, but then also, um, those narcotics tend to have kind of that backing up, right? Like they, they back a lot of people up. So, you know, it's just, it's not a win-win. Um, whereas like taking a half a gummy bear at night, like mellows you out and puts you in a pretty good space. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't do a lot of, a lot of harm. It does more good than harm, you know, yeah. in this case. So, uh, it's awesome. Uh, Something that just popped up as you were saying, you know, sharing and, and thank you. And I know this is not easy to talk about when you're at your lowest of lows. You mentioned something about looking for joy. Was there a strategy or, you know, not that I I, I want you to go back to that dark time where I, I can't imagine, you know, if you had to go out and, and you know, buy boys clothes to fit in, that had to be a pretty low time in your life and in this journey, what was the joy that you would look at 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 something like that and think about that situation? I can't tell you how cheap little boys t-shirts are. (laughs) It's ridiculous. I I had all these great sort of weird, like superhero t-shirts and I would buy the goof. I go to target or something, you know, someplace where, yeah, because women's clothes are expensive. It's crazy. Oh yeah. So I would go buy this stuff that was silly that would make me laugh and it was fun and my friends and my family were amazing they were around me keeping me laughing all the time it was extraordinary my godchildren would come over and visit my i had friends who would fly down from um oregon and my my brothers and everybody was so helpful. I'm so blessed by how kind people were. And um, people would show up with food. And pe- it was one of the reasons why I am so involved with PanCan and I'm so glad to be here for Project Purple is that not everybody has the gift that I had, that I had this community around me. Um, uh, Melissa Busfield, uh, who was the president of Screen Actors Guild at the time I was diagnosed, let the membership know I was sick. So everybody, because I had been a vice president of the union, everybody was really nice. I was a, um, so lucky to be part of an embracing community. Just really wonderful. Yeah. This is, a, I've got a lot of loaded questions. Uh, this is one of them. <laughs> so okay, what, what I mean by loaded mean, there's no right or wrong. I mean, I think they're thought provoking, right? But there's no no right or wrong. I We often hear, get the question from, and this is how the question goes. Some, some random stranger will call in and say, hey, my cousin, my, my, uh, my neighbor, someone close to them, just got diagnosed. What's the best thing I can do for them? And I turn that question on to you here, Kitty, to say, during that time, you just mentioned family and friends. 
and it, it may not be one thing, but what are some of the things that you look back and you don't have to give out names because we don't want to put anyone on the spot, but maybe there's advice that you could give someone listening that maybe has a loved one, someone close to them that's just been diagnosed that really meant the world to you. Um, something they did during that time that was really just something that just you remember now looking back or something that someone can do for someone that they know uh, is going through that fight right now. Now, people certainly acknowledge that I was sick, but what I love the best is a lot of my friends just didn't acknowledge it. I mean, they acknowledged that they'd say, how you doing, blah, 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 but they treated me like I was, like they always treated me. I didn't get kid love treatment. If I said something wrong, they, told, you know, they were honest with me. And we hung out like we were just hanging out. And that that normalizes things, and I think that's really helpful. And the other thing that I will never forget is we had a dear, we have a dear friend, and I will mention his name because it was extraordinary. His name is Larry Pressman. He's a wonderful actor. And uh, Larry had a, a wife, Lana, who was also a friend of ours, who had had um, MS for a long time. And everybody else took care of Kitty, and Larry took it upon himself to take care of Armin. And the fact that I knew that somebody was taking care of him meant everything to me because he was all I had to do was put one foot in front of the other. I just had to keep going through treatment and trying to get better and and uh, keeping myself in the game. But Armin had to do everything else. And so Larry picking him up and saying, let's go have lunch. Larry picking him up, picking up the phone and calling Armin and saying, how are you doing? That was an extraordinary amount of help. And often when we have known people who've gotten cancer since then, Armin will call the spouse and say, what can I do? Because he got such a good example from Larry. And I love that. I can't tell you how much I love that. So powerful because, and we do, we spend a lot of time on the patient, right? Which is important, Mm -hmm. but no one ever battles alone. Right. And that that second person, that spouse, that caregiver is so critical to the patient's success. Yes. Yes. You know and, and, you were a big caregiver for your father. Yeah. I, I think what you just said, I, we've never had anyone answer that question. I've asked many people that and I, I, I that's a home run, Kitty, because um, you know, often we we, we talk about we, we always focus on the patient and oftentimes we forget about those caregivers because, and, and I have said this and I remember someone told me this, um, you know, you can't care for someone chronically ill if you yourself are chronically ill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, no one, no one should fight alone. No one has to fight it alone, but you need a, a, a strong person in your corner or strong people in your corner to help you get through this journey. Yeah. So powerful. My next question here, and hopefully this has come up before, or maybe it hasn't. 19 years as a survivor. So I've got to imagine in the beginning, I know we've talked a little bit about it. You were you were doing some of the, the acupuncture, the Chinese medicine to kind of get through the, those chemo side effects, uh, those effects that were 
prolonged there as, as you ended your treatment. But there's this thing in this space called scanxiety, right? Like oh, yeah. every every couple months. So I imagine, again, as I mentioned to start the show, we've never had someone on the podcast that's been a 19-year survivor. That anxiety, well, let me ask this question. Did the anxiety change? Has it changed? How has it changed over the years? Uh, and it, well, let me back up. Is, is there such a thing as scan anxiety? Absolutely. Uh, every blood test, every scan, every everything. Uh, when anything seriously goes wrong with my health, I have a brief jump to the dark side. Uh-huh. And that's okay. Jumping to the dark side is okay. It's how you deal with the dark side and come back. That's important. Uh, I don't... Although... Just say the pandemic triggered me pretty significantly. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, it's not this, I don't live in fear all the time anymore. But there was a long time where somewhere sublimely in the back of my, um, you know, reptile brain <laughs> was uh, this fear that I was going to have cancer again, that I was going to die of cancer, that I was, you know, and I'm, I, I may very well, but not right now. And here, here's some, so I had breast cancer at 39, I had pancreatic cancer at 49. The year that I was about to turn 59, and through that year until I hit my 60th birthday, I was constantly trying to push it away. And then one day I just embraced it. And then when I had my 60th birthday, I wasn't celebrating my 60th birthday so much as I was celebrating. I made it for a decade without getting cancer again. Yay! And I know that when I get to my 69th birthday, I'll probably do the same thing for my 70th birthday. There you go. That's it. But I try. It's really about, okay, I'm getting afraid. Breathe. Let it go. Give yourself joy do the things you need to do because even if i was sick again all of those same things would apply find the joy in life find the beauty in life help others uh try and be generous in your soul and we all have trouble with those things at times but those are sort of my goals it's why i spend so much time dealing with pancreatic cancer is because I'm trying to help others find a path that will make them happy, will give them joy, will let them have hope, not just for the patients, but for the family members as well. So you mentioned something just a minute ago about going to that dark place and then hearing yourself speak right now. And I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. So it's okay to go to the dark place. Yeah. But though you're able to look at the joy and come back mm-hmm. to this part where it's okay. Like mm-hmm. things are going to be okay. It's going to work out. Yeah. Where, where does that, do you think, I guess my question is, do you ever look back at like the experiences that you've experienced? Like you, you mentioned during the time before you got diagnosed and naturally had this breast cancer diagnosis 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but it sounds like you've had a lot of experience with cancer, not pancreatic cancer, but with cancer, with friends and, and, yeah. and other things. 
and you you mentioned Cecily um, had lung cancer, who was a very dear, near friend for you. Do you ever look back at those experiences as kind of learnings for you? And hindsight's always twenty twenty, so it's easy, yeah. I think. To, I don't think I ever looked at it that way, but yes, I think it, they were learning. I've also discovered that I there's something I fear way more than cancer and way more than death. And that was that my father had Alzheimer's and I watched what that did to him. So in the grand scheme, and I am afraid of that. I'm afraid of that. My His father had it. He had it. Um, it's not pretty. It's not a because he would have flashes of knowing exactly who he had been and who he was now. And the horror on his face was terrible. So I think having dealt with, we all, everybody, you don't get out of this place alive. You just don't. That's not how it works. So um, I, I, I suppose as bad as I am about being philosophical about most things in life, hmm. Um, you know, you want to get, you want to trigger me, talk about politics. You want to, you know, if you, and whatever, whatever side of the spectrum you're on, I try and be, but it's, it triggers. So, um, we could talk about politics. We've talked, I think we've talked about politics here once or twice. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, but that, or, um, you know, sometimes work things will make you insane or. The way people have been driving for the last year is making me, I mean, I'm on the freeway and I get, I turn into, I get road rage because I was like, really? Last week I was, two freeways were coming together and a guy went up with two wheels on the embankment and came around me at like 85 miles an hour so that he could be right in front of me. That's all the further he got. Yeah, I said, that, that triggers me, but I try really hard not have cancer if it does trigger me it does like such a overused word right now but if, if yeah. it do have that horrible reptile brain moment i'm able somehow to let it go i don't know why but i am able to let it go and and i wasn't trying to trigger you um i, no, I think I you know you were. no I'm no you know you know but you just said something in in you know alzheimer's is is uh, that like ALS, Lou Gehrig's, yeah. um, yes. and then I throw pancreatic cancer in there to some degree. Um, because I, it's kind of like, I, and this maybe brings us back to like this conversation of like the survivorship. Right. And like, I think certain doctors, like your, that doctor said like, Hey, you know, you're going to die, you know, or you, you, you're choosing the wrong person. Right. So what do you mean? Like my fate's already written for me and with Alzheimer's and ALS, like you have that, you know, you know what you know. Right. And so that's where I, I think my point in, in asking that question was sometimes as the host, I take these notes and I look at certain things that have happened in someone's life and then how they react to certain situations. It's just kind of interesting, mm -hmm. you know, how people have certain perspectives or the, the pathways that people get to, you know, that end journey because of their experiences prior, not realizing that those experiences led them down that path, if that makes sense. And, and that's why it's just kind of interesting where you've had, 
this experience with cancer. And I don't know, maybe if you didn't have breast cancer and didn't have your, your close friend, you know, succumb to cancer, would you have gone down those journeys or have that outlook uh, potentially of, of, you know, how you've dealt and how you've battled and how you've survived this thing for 19 years? No food for thought. I don't know. I mean, I think it is food for thought. I, I think I managed to dribble down my chin. I'm so sorry. That's um, all right. Uh, uh, We're keeping uh, it real. I, <laughs> yes, we are. I think everybody's life is like this. It's cumulative, and yeah. for whatever reason, this was my path. Yeah. And uh, I, I think you can make choices about whether you go this way or go that way, but some things are just in your path, and you can't make choices about those. I love it. So powerful. Kitty, uh, thank you for allowing us to share your journey. Thank you for yeah. all you do for the pancreatic, pancreatic cancer community as a whole. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, you know, the more that we share stories like yours, as we've said a couple of times, and as I've said, you know, people go into those visits and, you know, I think far too often they hear the other side, but they've got to hear stories like yours, 19 years, 12%. That's the team we want to be on. That's what people should believe in. And that's, you know, there's no clinician out there that can tell someone they're not part of that group. And there's no group of body of people that can say the same thing, right? Like everyone has, everyone can be in that 12%. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing here for our audience listening and watching, I know you're on social. I think you're on Instagram. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? So Facebook is Kitty Swink, K-I-T-T-Y-S-W-I-N-K, at Kitty Swink is my Instagram, and at Kit Swink is my Twitter reference of Purple, Project Purple, so I know where you're coming at me from, because there's a lot, and, uh, and I am happy to help. Awesome. Thank you for being on the Project Purple podcast, Kitty. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you liked today's episode, please share this episode and make sure to follow the Project Purple Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That is a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, please be safe. Be safe.